DJ, hit that one more again. Turning your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. Today we're going to begin walking through various passages in the scripture where we are encouraged to be strong in the Lord because we all get weak sometimes. But the good thing about our God who is able to work in an upside down manner, he can use weakness as a facilitator towards spiritual strength. So he's not thrown off or dismayed when we are weak. As a matter of fact, that is a good place to be in because when we're weak, that's when we find his strength made perfect. So for the next couple of months, We're just going to spend time looking at people, normal people that God used and God gave strength to stand in their generation facing insurmountable circumstances that we might find encouragement for where we are today. God's word is good. And today we're going to focus on the theme of be strong and change. Be strong and change. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for being our rock, for being our fortress, for being our strong tower. As we said today from the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. Your name is above every other name. And we thank you for your power. For you are omnipotent. You have all power. The highest heavens cannot contain you. And not only did you speak the world and the galaxies into existence by the authority of your word, you hold the world and the universe universe together by your word. And we thank you. And now we come to your written word that will never return void. It's a Two-edged sword, it's living and active. So thank you that you know how to pierce hearts through the agency of the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what we need to know about you. And then you give us the strength to actually put it into practice so that our faith is accompanied with works. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for what you're up to. Get the glory through this message. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. When I was growing up, my family enjoyed listening to R&B music. And my parents loved Motown, the Motown sound. 
And so on Saturday mornings, when we would get up, we would have to clean every Saturday morning, clean the house every Saturday morning. And everybody had a task. Everybody had a chore, a responsibility. And a lot of times what my parents would do is that they would put the record player on, record player on. (laughs) And they would put on the likes of Gladys Knight and the Pips, the Temptations, the Supremes, Marvin Gaye, so that as you were sweeping the floor, you had a little bounce to what you were doing. As you were dusting, whatever you had to do, you heard these sounds because that was when music was music. And, and, and oh boy, I won't even go down there, but that's when music was music. Uh, but by far, my family's favorite group from Motown was the Jackson Five. <laughs> the Jackson Five. My sisters loved the Jackson Five. So much so that every time they got the magazine right on, see, some of y'all, I'm, I'm taking you back. They would clip out every picture they could find of Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5 and post them all over their wall. So much so that the local newspaper came to my house and took a picture of my sister's bedroom because there was not an empty space on that wall. It was full of write-on pictures of Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5. My sisters loved the Jackson 5 so much that they snuck into their dressing room before a concert that they had once in Baltimore. And they went around and they took pictures of the clothes that the Jackson 5 were going to wear in the concert. That's how much they were a fanatic or they were fanatics of the Jackson 5. And so we would always hear songs like ABC, I Want You Back. All of that growing up in the house. And so it was natural to become a fan of the Jackson 5 growing up. And I even hung with the Jackson 5 when they got older and taller and their afros went out further. And then when Michael chose to break away from the group and he came out with the the off-the-wall record, I Want to Rock With You and all those great songs. And then he went on and he made uh, uh, Beat It and Thriller and all of that. And I even hung with Michael through all of his various changes. I I hung with him. I said, Mike, come on, man. Stop grabbing your crotch, man. Just sing the song, Mike. Come on, Mike. What you doing to your face now, Mike? Come on, Mike. But I hung with him throughout the changes that he went through. And my favorite, favorite Michael Jackson song is Man in the Mirror. There's a message in that song. And there's a lyric, the the, the chorus says, he says, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. And I'm asking him to change his ways. No message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make that change. Powerful, powerful message. Because really what he's calling for is revival. You know, in Christian terms, when we talk about revival, revival starts with each and every one of us. Before we start pointing at what God needs to do in someone else, we need to look in the mirror and say, Lord, what is it that you want to do and desire to do with me? The old Puritans would say, Lord, send a revival and let it start with me. And they would draw a circle and stand in the circle. And they would say, Lord, whatever in this circle is not like you, Lord, burn it out. And they would have these prayer meetings and sessions before the Lord where they would go before him seeking revival. But it would first start with themselves. 
Because if I catch on fire and I stand next to you, then you might catch on fire or your fire may hit me. It takes all of us first and foremost saying, I'm going to look at myself and say, Lord, show me where I fall short. Show me what I need from you. Show me what I must do. So that song has a great message when he says, I'm looking at the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. Now, the sad thing about Michael Jackson, and there are many sad things when you just look at the story of his life. The sad thing is that he did not follow his own advice that he gave in that song. Because had he followed his own advice, and Michael, again, is a lot like many of us, we're good at preaching to others, but we're not always good at following the words that we preach ourselves. And so he would say, we need to look in the mirror. But had Michael looked in the mirror and changed his ways, he might still be alive today, and he might still be moonwalking somewhere today. But because he didn't follow his own advice to change his ways, I believe he died prematurely. So why is it that Michael didn't follow his own advice? Why is it that he did not change his ways? Why is it that we don't change our ways? When we know we need to change something. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews to lay aside every sin and the weight that so easily besets us. And so often we're carrying the weights and we're holding on to sins, things we know we need to lay aside, things that hinder us in our walk and our run for Christ, but we don't always do it. So why don't we change? I believe we don't change because it takes strength to change. In fact, it takes God's strength to change. You see, change is not for the weak Change is for the strong. So if it's changing your diet, that takes strength. If it's changing your habits in terms of social media time, that takes strength. If it's changing some kind of habit that is uh, destructive to you, to your family, uh, changing your vocabulary, changing uh, how you use time, changing, it takes strength. To change, and that's why many times we don't change. It takes strength for a caterpillar to become a butterfly. It takes strength to change, to go through the transformation. Because in order for that caterpillar to become a butterfly, it has to exert strength to call or to crawl rather out of its cocoon. And as it crawls and pushes and pulls out of its cocoon, that casing that wraps around it in the process of its transformation, it develops muscles in its legs, muscles that will allow it to survive as a butterfly, which is why if humans were to circumvent that process and pull a, that, that butterfly out of the cocoon, that butterfly will die because it did not develop the muscles it needed as it was transitioning out of the cocoon to become a butterfly. But it takes strength to come out of that thing so that it could have strength to fly in its new form. It takes strength for a baby to change environments. When a baby has been in a mother's womb for nine months, sometimes less, for that baby to come out of that birth canal, it takes strength on that baby's part especially if the doctor has to help the baby out and apply forceps to help pull the baby out. The mother has to have strength to push 
And even if she's medicated, you know, she still needs some strength to push. Or if she has to have a a C-section, it takes strength to go through that. So with the birthing process, there's a lot of strength that is needed so that that baby can go from one environment to another environment. It takes strength to change environment. It takes strength to change a nation. It takes strength to change an organization. It takes strength to change a church. And a lot of times we don't change because it costs us something. So we stay where we are. But we have a God who is calling us not only upward but inward through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to be transformed, to be changed into the image of Jesus Christ with ever-increasing glory. We can't stay the same as Christians. We must continue to change. And so in order to change, I need his strength operating in my weaknesses. But when I resist him, then I am aborting, stopping the process that God wants to accomplish in my life. But we have to be strong to change. So today I want to talk about a man who was strong enough to change. Yes, he was strong enough to change. Now, this man we're going to look at, we don't know his name, but we do know he changed. Jesus was crucified between two criminals, and one of those criminals was strong enough to change. So here's what we know about the man who was strong enough to, as Michael Jackson would say, make that change. Here are just some things we know about him from the text. Mark chapter 15, verses 6 and 7, I'm going to read it. It lets us know that this man was a rebel. Let's look at this man. Mark chapter 15, verse 6, reading from the New King James Version. It says, now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them. This is speaking of Pilate, the Roman governor. And he would release whomever they requested, whomever the people, the Jewish people requested. The next verse says, and there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. So as we do a thumbnail sketch on this person, just a profile concerning who he is or who he was from scripture, we see, number one, that he was a rebel. And he was a rebel in a group of rebels, and they happened to get caught. And no doubt, being Jewish people under the heel of Rome, they were rebelling against Rome. They had started an insurrection against Rome. And so they were rebelling. They were rebels, and thus they got arrested. But we also see from Mark 15, verse 7, that these men were also murderers. Because it says in verse 7 that they had committed murder in the rebellion. I used to think that it was just Barabbas that was bad news. But no, all three of these guys were bad news. And all three of them committed murder. And this explains why they have been given the death penalty by execution through crucifixion. Because to kill a Roman citizen was different than killing a Jewish citizen. So the stakes were higher. So they had been arrested and tried for murder because no doubt they had killed in their rebellion against the state, had killed Roman citizens. But we also see that this man was a follower of Barabbas. Look at Mark chapter 15, verse 25. 
It says, now it was the third hour, and that, according to our time, is 9 o'clock a.m., and they crucified him, capital H in the New King James, Jesus. Jesus was crucified at 9 o'clock a.m. on what we call Good Friday. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. With him, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So when we look at this, we see that these two men, one on the right, one on the left, they were followers of Barabbas. Pastor Chris, why do you say that? Well, when we look at it, the Bible lets us know that when Pilate had asked the people, who do you want to release, he brought before them Barabbas, who the Bible says he was a notorious prisoner, hoping and believing that the people would choose to release Jesus and keep Barabbas in prison because Barabbas was a scoundrel of a man, and he was an enemy to the public. And so Pilate is hoping and believing because he believes that there's no fault. He could find no fault in Christ. But in a moment, he's going to get hung up by politics. He's going to try to wash his hands of the death of Christ, but he can't. But the people who were influenced by the chief priests and the scribes had asked for Jesus to be crucified and for Barabbas to be set free. And so Barabbas is the main guy, which explains why his cross is in the middle. Because Jesus died on Barabbas' cross. That day they were preparing to put to death three men. But Barabbas was set free, thus Jesus died on the cross that was intended for Barabbas. And Barabbas' cross was in the middle because he was the leader of the gang. He was the leader of the rebellion. And so when you look at the cross being in the middle, one thief on the right, another thief, a robber on the left, Barabbas was supposed to be in the middle because he was the leader, which means that the guy on the right and the guy on the left followed their leader into mischief and into trouble. And so when you look at these men's lives, there's always a gang and there's always a gang leader. Barabbas was the gang leader. And when I look at my life growing up, especially as a young man, and I thank God for a student director who says he wants to involve parents in the ministry of students at the church, is because had I had placed myself more under adults who knew what time it was, because when I was young, I didn't think parents knew what time it was. I didn't think they knew the kind of dirt that I was wanting to get into as a teenager in Baltimore. But they understood the time. I just didn't try to get close enough to them to relate with them. And I wish more would have taken the initiative to approach me because had they approached me, I might not have followed the people that I followed in the world the way that I did. But I take full responsibility for what I did growing up because as I was following my friends, I made some bad decisions. Following my friends is where I smoked my first joint. Following my friends is where I learned how to lie to my parents. Following ungodly friends is where I was introduced to pornography in the ninth grade. I had another friend who lived down the street, and I would go down his house, and back then they had VHS tapes, and he had VH tapes of pornography. And I followed my friend and began to watch pornography. But then when I started getting a little older and 
uh, high school and I'm trying to find myself as an athlete, I followed the athletes into bad things. I was a follower. And although I didn't drink to get drunk, there were times where I tasted alcohol. So that wasn't my thing. But the ladies were my thing. And I remember the guys would sit at the table talking about how they were having sex. And I felt so left out of the conversation because I didn't have anything to say. So in order to be cool with the group because I was a follower, I said I need to go out and have sex so that I can be like everybody else. Now, I was a new Christian in the 11th grade, just became a Christian. Didn't really know what it meant to follow Christ, but I knew I couldn't sin the same way I used to and get away with it. Like, I just felt worse when I did stuff wrong. I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit in me. I didn't know I was quenching him and grieving him. And so I'm out here with these guys, and I'm grieving the Spirit of God, and I'm following them to the point where I decided I'm going to have sex. I'm going to do this because, like a lot of guys, I lied when I was at the lunch table. But I got tired of telling a lie, and I I said, I'm going to do this. And I followed one of my friends who was sexually active. He had impregnated his girlfriend, and we were close. And I'm like, if we're going to be close, then I need to be sexually active. I'm a follower. And I went and had sex my senior year, lost my virginity. The worst decision I've ever made in my life. And I had this conversation with my children to try to encourage them to say, you can wait on the Lord. You should wait on the Lord. I promise you it is not worth it to go out here and follow the ways of the world. Do it God's way. And I thank God he made me a spiritual virgin when I got married. But you know what? Mm, That was still a scar that's in my life. But God is using it so I can now teach transgressors his ways. Love to go next door and talk to the students sometime to say, man, do not follow your friends into wrongdoing. Because here's the thing about Barabbas. They followed him into wrongdoing, and then he gets off the hook, and he rolls out and leaves them still hanging. And so many of my friends that I was living to impress to get their approval, once I got in trouble, they were gone. Because when I had to sneak back into my house after going out fornicating with a girl named Bunny, believe it or not. Her nickname was Bunny. I don't even know the girl's real name. I had to sneak back in my house. And my friends weren't there to help me when I now had to lie to my parents. Because they heard, my, my sister came in my room, who loves the Jackson 5. She came in my room and said, Chris, mommy and daddy want to know why you were sneaking in the house this morning. I'm like, oh boy, now I want to pray. I wish I would have been thinking about praying around 9 o'clock. Following. And even when I went to a Christian college, I followed the crowd, the wrong crowd. I had a friend named Rex. I don't know why I felt the need to try to impress Rex, but I, Rex was, again, a ladies' man. I'm trying to grow in sanctification. I'm trying, but Rex was a ladies' man, and woo, I said, okay, I'm going to hang with Rex, and we're going to try to do our thing. Christian gigolos on the Christian campus. <laughs> and that's when I met Darina and Alina. I was a freshman, still following, still not understanding who I was in Christ as far as following him, And when they met me and they met Rex, y'all thought we were dogs, and that's what we were. That's what we were. But I thank God for his mercy. I thank God for his patience. 
Because hang on, y'all. Not only was this man a rebel, a murderer, and a follower, but he was also a robber. Mark 15, verse 27 says that they were robbers. Now, a robber is different from a thief. Because a thief will steal from you when you're not looking. But a robber will steal from you and look you in your eyes while he is doing it. And will use or threaten force to do it. So a robber is very bold with it. Uh, I remember getting robbed when I was about 16 years old. Has anyone ever been robbed before at gunpoint? I wouldn't see the hands went down at gunpoint. <laughs> I was robbed at gunpoint following one of my friends again. And uh, we were riding our bicycles. <laughs> and my bike had a bent rim, like the back rim was bent because I was jumping off curbs too much, so my wheel was wobbly. Now, my friend had a real nice bike, same dude that introduced me to pornography. And so we're riding down the street. We had come from 7-Eleven. We got our Slurpees. We're doing our thing. And so this dude walks up to us asking us for directions. And this is Baltimore, mind you. And so he's asking us for directions, and we get close enough to him, and then he pulls out a gun, and he says, give me your bike. Now, he looked at my bike, saw the bent rim, and said, I don't want his bike. I'll take this other guy's bike. And he rode off down the street with my friend's bike. <laughs> And I'm sitting there with my bike, <laughs> like, man. And my friend starts crying, like, oh, man, you took my bike. <laughs> so when you rob, you're doing it face to face. So if I stick a pin in this, it takes me to Malachi. When it says, shall a man rob God? The Bible says, how have we robbed you? And God says, you robbed me with tithes and offerings. So this is not I'm stealing from God. No, this is I'm robbing from God straight up face to face. I know you said to honor you with the first fruits of my increase, but I'm not going to do it, and I don't care what you think. And we rob God. So this man, these men were robbers. They were also, according to verse 28, transgressors. Jesus would be numbered with transgressors. What's a transgressor? It's the same as a trespasser. When someone commits a trespass, they are knowingly and willingly violating and going against the law. It's like if I had um, a sign on my lawn saying no trespassing and the boys next door just still walk on my lawn to the point where they put a trail in my lawn. They have not only trespassed, but now they've transgressed and they're daring me to do something about it. And so these men were bad men. Because they knew what God's word says, whether they were Jewish people who knew the law or being humans, the law was written in their heart and they transgressed, trespassed anyway. These were bad men. But then he was a reviler. All three of them were revilers of Jesus. That means they looked down on Christ. Look at verse 29. And those who passed by blasphemed him wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who destroy the temple and building in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the king of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. So everyone has turned against Christ. The crowd, they become a mob and they're taunting him and ridiculing him, really speaking in the voice of Satan saying that if you are the Christ, prove yourself right now. 
And the Bible even says that the two thieves who were on his right and on his left because Jesus was crucified in the middle on Barabbas' cross, they started reviling him, putting him down. Mm. So we've looked at some things about these men. They were rebels, murderers, followers of Barabbas, robbers, transgressors, and revilers. But I'm so glad that there's more to the story than what we see in Mark chapter 15. Now, we're going to go over to Luke 23, but before you turn there, may we be patient with people who are lost, who may not be found like we are right now, and we write them off because we look at their lives and we look at the sum total of their actions and we say, "Mm mm-mm, they're not worthy. But we got to learn how to turn the pages of grace. We need to learn how to wait on the Lord, wait on him to touch that father of yours that needs to be saved, to touch that son of yours who needs to come to Christ, that cousin, that co-worker. Because although you may have given up on someone, that doesn't mean God has given up on them. So go with me to Luke chapter 23. It didn't end there with this man, these men reviling Christ, putting him down. There's more to the story. Luke chapter 23, verse 38. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. Verse 39, do you have it? Then one of the criminals. Stop right there. Then one of the criminals is about to dig his ditch even deeper. And the Bible says he was hanged with Christ and he blasphemed him saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself in us. So he is being facetious. He is being disrespectful towards Christ. So he went from reviling now to blaspheming, one of them. Verse 40, but the other. You see, when you see that conjunction, but, which is a contrast, it's a contrast of mercy and of grace, but the other. Answering, rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God? seeing you are under the same condemnation. Stop right there. Something is starting to happen to one of those thieves or robbers where he hears his fellow rebel. They spent time together, and now they're dying together. He blasphemes Christ, and now the other robber comes out of the shadows of following towards the light of obedience, and he rebukes his friend. That's when you know you're growing in Christ and you stop being a follower. Because following Barabbas meant that their lives centered around Barabbas. But now he's tasting that that thing doesn't work. That's not real. And he's noticing something about the man that's now in the middle. And he's like, I I think it's about time to start putting my life around this man as opposed to Barabbas and my friend and the crowd and he starts coming out of the shadows and he rebukes his friend. There comes a time where you've got to stand up for Jesus 
with the people you used to get down with. And he says, do you not even fear God? I bet they never had a spiritual conversation on all the time they're doing their dirt. But there's never a time like the present to have a conversation about God. Man, let's have a conversation about God. And he says to his friend, we are under the same condemnation. I mean, we're about to die, verse 41, and we indeed justly. In other words, we're getting what we deserve. So now he understands sin, guilt, and responsibility. And he says, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember he was reviling him, but now he's recognizing him. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, it was about the sixth hour. That means 12 o'clock. And there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, which is 3 o'clock. So Jesus is going to be on the cross from a span of six hours from 9 a.m. until 3 p.m. So from 9 to 12, the earth is full of light. But from 12 to 3, the earth will be full of darkness. This man gave his life to Jesus just before 12 noon. I'm approaching 12 noon today, and my prayer is that, Lord, would you change someone's life today just before noon the way you changed this man's life 2,000 years ago just before noon because God is still able to change and deliver and set free for that is why he came. This man changed. So, How did he change, Pastor? He changed because he listened to what Jesus said. They're hanging on the cross for six hours. Jesus has a few statements that he mentions. He speaks up concerning during that time. But like a lamb being led to the slaughter, he's silent, so he's not speaking much. But we call them the seven last sayings of Christ that he spoke during that six-hour time. One of those sayings that that thief heard was found in verse 34 of Luke 23 when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. That man heard that and that touched him. In the book Intimate Moments with the Savior, author Ken Geyer asked the question. He says, what happened to change that one thief's heart? To give him the heroism to stand up for Jesus and the humility to submit to him. Here's the answer. He hears him at arm's distance, or rather he hears at arm's distance what Peter hears from afar and would write about years later. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In the midst of the spears of abuse thrust into Jesus' side, this thief hears him appeal to a court higher than Caesar's. The appeal is not for justice, but for mercy. And not mercy for himself, but for his accusers. The spears are sharp and relentless, but Jesus does not throw them back. He bears them in his heart. The one outlaw hears all this 
and lifts his faint head to look at the man from whose lips these tender words came. And when his eyes meet the Savior's, for a moment all time stands still. In those eyes, he sees no hatred, no scorn, no judgment. He sees only one thing, forgiveness. Then he knows he is face to face with a dying God. That thief didn't know much theology. He only knew that Jesus was a king, that his kingdom was not of this world, and that this king had the power to bring even the most unworthy people into his kingdom. But that was not enough. And in an intimate moment with the Savior, a lifetime of moral debt was canceled. How did he change? He got close to Jesus. The preacher last week says it's easy to deny Christ when we follow him from a distance. But here this man is within feet of Christ and he is hearing Christ forgive. He's looking into Christ's eyes. He's also watching how he's suffering. He sees the crown of thorns on his head. He sees that Christ was bludgeoned and beat down before he even had the nails driven through his hands and his feet. So he knew something was going on, something unjust. And by watching how Jesus suffered, it changed his life. Just like the centurion is going to say later, when Jesus gives up his spirit, he's going to say, truly this is the son of God. By how Jesus died, he knew that he was the son of God. So this thief hears Christ speak. He watches how Christ suffers. He knew that Jesus was innocent. And he knew that he was guilty. How did he change? Because he recognized that Jesus was the Lord and he was not and Barabbas was not and the crowd was not and his friend was not and he stopped worrying about the people. He came to Jesus. And he came to Jesus just as he was. This revelation of Jesus caused him to change and change he did. But as I close, I want to ask, Which dying sinner are you? You have Christ who is in the sinners, the cross of redemption. One thief, the cross of rejection. The other thief, thank God, the cross of reception. Because they're looking at the same Christ. They're looking at the same information. They're processing what's going on from the same crowd and the same circumstances. But they came away with different decisions. And even when the one thief heard, the other thief received mercy from Jesus. But Jesus didn't say, tomorrow you'll be with me. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Gave that man something to look forward to in his waning hours on the cross. And that thief was on the cross of rejection, still did not change his ways. Why? Because it takes strength to change. It takes humility to change. You've got to surrender to change. He was too stubborn to change. And some of us are just too stubborn. It don't matter what Jesus say, what Jesus is doing. We are just so fixed and stubborn and hard. And we're going to die missing out. Because we didn't have the strength to change. The gospel is not for those who are good enough or strong enough. The gospel is for those of us who are bad enough and weak enough. The gospel is for bad people. 
But for whatever reason, that man who was being convicted of rebellion and murder and robbery couldn't see his need for a savior. And he was really no different than the Pharisees. They were religious but never saw their need for a savior. But this man who received Christ, he saw his need and he was strong enough to change, which meant that he relied on the one Jesus to give him strength. You see, based on this man's actions, I encourage all of us to take action. Let us be strong and change and rethink what we believe about Jesus. That man understood Jesus did not sin and that Jesus was the Lord and that was enough to change his life. He knew Jesus had a kingdom. He knew Jesus was going to that kingdom. He knew enough to change his life. Some of us need to go back to the basics of believing that Jesus is Lord. Those of us who know Jesus, we need to go back. We need to be strong and change and rethink what we believe about him. We need to be strong and change and refuse to be a follower of man. Exodus chapter 20 verse 2 says, do not follow the crowd in wrongdoing. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, come out from among them and be separate. As we pray for Brenton, as we pray for our students, the peer pressure is strong for them to stay with the crowd. But they've got to come out of that crowd, even as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of that crowd. Because if you keep following that crowd, you may end up doing some things that will scar the rest of your life, if not take it. So, Lord, raise up leaders with our students who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. We're in the world, but we're not of it. Yeah, we're cool, but we're Christ-like, man. Man, holy boldness rolled through this church because this dude didn't care what anybody thought. I remember when Ken Hutcherson passed and went home to be with the Lord last year. He would go and speak to football players. And he would walk into a room and these guys, 250, 300 pounds, six foot this, six foot that. And he would say, I'm in love with Jesus and I don't care what any of y'all think about it. And we need more people to stand up in the workplace, the marketplace, the church place and say, I'm down with Christ. I'm not following man. What can man do for me? Be strong and change and be used by God in ways you can't even imagine. When you make that choice to follow him, he'll use you in ways that you can't even imagine. I did not see myself leading people when I was following in high school. But God had a way. My story, as Brenton even talked about our story, my story didn't end with me messing up in high school, me messing up in college. He he had more for me. But he changed me where I started getting closer to him and I didn't care what people think. And now here I am leading people when I was a follower. Well, I can only lead people because I'm following Christ. And you can lead people because you're following Christ. A true leader is one who follows Jesus. And so this man, God used him. Pastor, how did God use this man? Well, watch this, y'all. The first three hours, there was physical light but he was in spiritual darkness. Then just before noon, when he converts, the world goes dark, and now he's in spiritual light. And for the last three hours, 
He has the unique place of being closer to Jesus in his earthly ministry for his last hours than anybody else. So he's with Jesus. And I'd rather be with Jesus in a darkened world. I'd rather hang with Christ and talk with Christ because he's the light. He's placed light in me than hang out in the world, which is really darkness. So he's close to Christ. And this man that Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He never took communion, but he went to paradise. He never joined the church, but he went to paradise. He never prayed a sinner's prayer. He just said, Lord, remember me. And he was in paradise. Speaking in tongues is great, but he did not speak in tongues and he was still on his way to paradise. See, he did not get baptized and he's still on his way to paradise. And see, this man causes a lot of problems for religious people who say you got to be baptized. You got to join a church. You got to speak in tongues. You got to do good works. You got to have communion. No, this man had faith. He was saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That's the gospel. Ah. This redeemed criminal was strong enough to change. He changed his mind. He changed his beliefs. He changed his vocabulary. He changed his allegiance, and he changed his eternal destiny. What about you? You strong enough to change? Are you strong enough to follow the Lord? Or will you just continue to follow the crowd? But Jesus today wants to give someone the same assurance that he gave this man. Would you stand to your feet as the worship team returns wants to give you the same assurance. Number one, if you know him, he's calling all of us to make sure that we're not following the dictates of the world, the dictates of Satan. There's a pattern in the world. I heard someone say this past week. I'll be careful how I say this. But if we're more excited about a television program than we are about the kingdom and that we rearrange our schedule to make sure we're at home to watch a television program that is not giving any glory to God. And yet we struggle to come into church. We struggle to read our Bibles. We struggle to be with God's people. Our priorities are out of whack, and we need to realign ourselves with the Lord. Where's your heart? If there's someone here who, you want to meet Jesus, You want to be with the one who offers paradise, forgiveness of sin, lifting of guilt. I encourage you to be strong and follow this thief who simply said, Lord, remember me. Because in those three words, Lord, remember me, he's saying, Lord, forgive me. He's saying, Lord, save me. He's saying, Lord, have mercy on me and once again Jesus didn't send him to church Jesus didn't tell him to get baptized didn't tell him to take communion he didn't tell him to go out and do good works Jesus said today you'll be with me 
Let's pray. Father God, I pray there's someone here today, a Christian who needs to reevaluate who he or she is following, where they're getting their dictates from. I pray that they would have the courage to repent. I pray that they would have the courage to identify those things that are pulling them away from you. I pray that they, we, I, would repent afresh and be drawn closer to Christ. Draw us closer to Jesus so that the things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And if there's someone here today, Father, that like the thief, you want them to know how much you love them and that today is the day of salvation. And, and if they're hearing your voice, that they would not harden their hearts. So if that's you and you know that you're not a Christian, you know that you haven't been forgiven Jesus is not the Lord of your life. But right now, you want to make him the Lord of your life. From your heart to God's heart. Because he's listening. Say, Lord, remember me. Jesus, save me. You saved that man just before 12. Lord, it's a little after 12. Would you save me? In a moment, we're going to open up the altar. If anyone that wants to pray, Christian, non-Christian, just going to pray. And if you prayed that prayer with me the first time, saying, Lord, I, I want to be saved. Jesus, forgive me. Just come up and shake my hand. So we'll spend time in prayer. And then Brother Basil will close us.